This program is presented by University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating for us in iTunes. Well, welcome to Script the Screen. We are honored our first time to have an actor's perspective on the screenplay. So we're very excited. Thank you, Mr. Malcolm McDowell. So when was the last you said you, when did you see it in Cannes? Cannes? I saw it in Cannes uh, for the first time in 20 years. But you know, I don't like looking at my work when I've mm -hmm. done it. I don't like looking back on things. I only like looking forward. <laughs> and it's when people say, what's your favorite part? What's your favorite role? The next one. <laughs> so let me That's just rip up this last question. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> I think it's a fairly uh, remarkable film, and I think it does hold up. And it's interesting because when we made the film, um, I always thought, you know, we're making a black comedy. It's uh, very black, but very funny if you have that kind of humor, which of course the English do. More probably than the Americans, um, and um, but when it came out, it was so far ahead in the look of its time that uh, people just sat there completely mesmerized, and there was not one laugh in the whole thing. Uh, much to my absolute disgust, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, they were, everybody was completely obsessed with the violence. And I was like, there's no violence in this film. Have you seen um, Peckinpah's movies? Have you seen Wild Bunch? My God, that's a ballet of violence. Mm. But, but of course this is violent, but it's psychological sort of violence. And um, you know, it, it's one of the great stories really, because it's such a dilemma. The dilemma is, that here you have the leading character who is an immoral man. And I don't think in movies there had been a, an immoral man who was the lead in the movie, the star of the movie. Um, the only one I can think of is a strange choice, but it's a Shakespearean film that Olivier did of Richard III. I remember that, yes. And I honestly always had that sort of picture in my head because I saw it as a boy and was uh, very taken with that great performance of Olivier, you know, and um, every schoolboy in England uh, was made to see his great Shakespeare movies, uh, Henry V and uh, Richard III especially, which is such a great film too, and, no, and uh, you know, made a big impression on me. So I always had that in the back of my mind when I was doing the role of Alex. So talking about that, when you first read the script, I mean, Alex is a sociopathic thug, but you need to humanize him so the audience connect. What were the challenges in trying to? Well, you've hit it. That was the challenge. Um, with a Kubrick movie, the script was um, rather skeleton-like and um, basically just chunks from various chapters of the book. 
which I read and held on to as my Bible. And um, Kubrick, I think he's credited with screenplay, which is, which is really um, a bit of a laugh, actually, because um, <laughs> the truth is that I, I think um, if I really come to uh, dissect it, and, uh, I, I think that a lot of it was actually my ideas because, well, they would be because I was in the middle of it. So, you know, um, the way we would work would be to rehearse the scene, to find out what it's about, and to um, let him figure out how he was going to shoot it. But Kubrick would never turn the camera until he had it perfectly in his mind. That's why he takes so damn long to shoot, because he never knew, he never really knew in his mind what he wanted. He knew what he didn't want. He didn't know what he wanted very often. Until he saw it. You know, Until he saw yeah, it. I used to joke with him and say, no wonder you like working with Peter Sellers. <laughs> because he'd just do another character, you know, <laughs> until he found the one you wanted. What I found interesting is Alex starts as a, you know, the thug, then he becomes submissive and passive, yeah. and then he's back to thug. Was that fun for you as an actor, playing a character who changes so much during the movie? Well, of course it's fun. But, you know, he's only passive because he's given this um, Ludovico treatment um, that is this aversion therapy, which we sort of in England like to joke, well, they're probably doing it in California. Because <laughs> everything they did in California, you know. <laughs> because in, in the rest of the world, we think that California, you know, they're all on some weird drugs or something, you know, and doing experimental stuff in the prisons, making guinea pigs of the poor prisoners and all the rest of it. But... Um, that was a sort of game that we used to play. But, um, you know, Burge, it's very much Burgess's creation. And Anthony Burgess, the novelist who wrote the novel, was a very extraordinary talent and um, an extraordinary man. I got to meet him, but only after the movie. Oh. Kubrick wouldn't have him around. Uh, he wanted to make his own film without any interference from a pesky author <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know uh, Kubrick was right because um, Kubrick is a great artist of, of film and Burgess was a writer so a novelist and uh, really I think it's one of the great um, examples of a really uh, classic novel if you like being transferred to a movie that's as good. I won't say it's better, but it's as good. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Kubrick. You work with uh, uh, directors more of a theater background, Lindsay Anderson, for example. Yes, yes. So how is Kubrick's style different approaching at working with actors compared to like the theater? Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, <laughs> Stanley hadn't got a clue about actors. He could care less about actors. It was. I asked him once... What do you think, Stanley? Uh, um, he looked at me and he go. He looked at me with an incredulous look, and he went, "Well, that's why I hired you." <laughs> and I thought, "Wow, that's incredible," you know, because. But of course, uh, he was right in a way, and and I realized actually that he'd given me the greatest gift that any director could give an actor was, show me. What do you got? Well, you know, 
let's see what you have. And, um, and once I uh, got used to that, because you know, I was used to the very nurturing Lindsay Anderson, who was a genius, you know, one of the great directors I ever worked with, and um, a remarkable man, a great, great man. And uh, Kubrick was too, but in a very different way. Kubrick was much more into um, the actual art of film and the technical aspects of, uh, you know, finding great lenses, uh, cameras, and uh, film stock and speed of this and that. I mean, you know, he would, he would uh, wax lyrical about some lens that NASA had developed or something, <laughs> and, you know, and we're all sort of nodding, going, really? <laughs> but who cares, really? <laughs> uh, but of course, we didn't say that. But, uh, that was certainly going through my mind, was just let's get the damn thing shot. Because you can't do it, Stanley, without actors. <laughs> I know you want to, <laughs> but you can't. See, in the CGI age, he might like that now. Well, he, <laughs> he got very close to doing it without actors in 2001, yeah. because the main actor is a bloody computer <laughs> and a voice. <laughs> I was always curious about like, the singing in the rain scene, because I read that that was a very difficult scene trying yes. to capture. Is that the situation where the script just was kind of a little... There was vague? nothing in the script. Uh. The script said the boys come in uh, and they throw bottles of liquor through a window. Uh. Um, obviously, that wasn't going to cut it because um, you know that um, what uh, I had found which was a, a, a surprise to me, was that, um, you know, that what evolved was a certain style. And it was a style which was um, believable, real, but not realistic. And um, so that everything was heightened. And um, uh, so that you get the humor out of it, actually. and, and um, so when we came to do this, I realized that, uh, you know, to do a realistic rape and murder it was going to be impossible. It was not only turn everybody off, uh, but um, you would, the film would be over. I mean, you, you had to find a way to do it which was acceptable and uh, smart and clever. I know it sounds uh, a little weird now to say that, but... At the time, uh, you know, it was extremely difficult to find, to find that way through. And um, obviously, for the story and the plot, she had to be raped and he had to be beaten. Um, simple as that. And, and I had to come out of it not as a, a Charles Manson kind of figure, you know. So... Luckily, uh, after five days of sitting around doing nothing, Kubrick just happened to say, can you dance? Well, I can't dance, but uh, <laughs> I gave it a go, and out popped Singing in the Rain, and I sort of just improv the whole scene. And, I mean, I saw his face light up, and, uh, you know, he... Uh, 
He grabbed hold of me, got in his car, drove back to his house, which was half an hour away. He got on the phone, he bought the rights to sing it in the rain, and we went back and shot that sequence. Took about a week to shoot. Amazing, really. But and it it's a pivotal point in the film. And just by luck, by chance, we found it through um, just an improv, you know. It, it just, um, that's why sometimes uh, it's really important not to overthink stuff and just to let uh, intuition take over. The thing that amazes me about the movie is a lot of the film is nonverbal. Your physical manifestation is what's going on because you have the voiceover, but you're acting the scene nonverbally. Right. Was that kind of a challenge? Feels like you know you weren't you really couldn't use dialogue as much. You had to you know convey Alex's state of mind. Well, um, I never even thought of it that way. To be honest with you, I just quickly scanned the scene and went, "Oh, good, I don't have too many lines <laughs> to remember." And um, I think that's more the way actors work, you know. Um, but obviously, film is very physical. It's uh, movies, movement, and um, the movement of a character tells all about him. And, uh, you know, just by some subtle changes in movement, um, you can make big changes in a character. You know, you can know instantly. It's a sort of uh, roadmap to uh, an emotional state of mind of a character just by the movement. Um, you know, or just if I'm talking in a sort of medium shot, and do this, you know, suddenly it, this becomes a focal point, you know. So it's very important how the actor chooses the movement and um, how he's going to use that, you know. If I'm going to make a toast, and this is a glass, say, I, I, I move it like this, in preparation of the toast. So you're setting the audience up you know, you're giving it a style rather than just being naturalistic and boring. So, and then by the time you come to do this, subliminally they've been prepared, if you see what I mean. I mean, it's kind of sort of splitting hairs and a gray area, but, but it's the only thing that keeps me interested. I've noticed because I, I watch a lot of your films preparing for this. Uh, oh my God! Clockwork Orange. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a sci-fi allegorical slant. Clockwork Orange, Time After Time, which I grew up with. I love that movie. Yes. And Star Trek Generations. Is there something about sci-fi or fantasy as an actor you enjoy these kind no, of roles? No, I don't. At all. <laughs> no, the, I don't go looking for them. They come they looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> Once you've been stuck in one of the great science fiction horror movies of all time. Mm you tend to get offered a few to repeat, 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 which I've never done, really, anything ever like this. Maybe Caligula, but that's about yeah, it. <laughs> you didn't see that in your... I actually, I, did, I watched it six oh months my ago. God. Well, that's uh, nothing to do with... Uh, that wasn't anything to do with research, sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was like a family <laughs> movie with the kids, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So we did some of that. Yeah, uh, okay. So we have, a, our audience is a lot of aspiring screenwriters, young students yeah. who are writing screenplays. As Great. an actor, what, do you, what would you like to tell them, like, what do you look for in a part? What do you want to see when you read a screenplay to get you, I want to play that part? Or is it just different for different roles? Well, look, um, 
I can't really tell you that because there's no answer to that. I don't know. It's intuitive. I can tell you within pretty much two pages whether I, I'm interested in it or not. And that's the truth. Um, sometimes uh, I don't even get that far. But um, I think uh, from screenwriting point of view, uh, for a screenwriter, I would think you have to write about something that you emotionally know, that has moved you, that you've been a part of, an experience of, or something. But I think if you uh, try to, um, you have to be a really wonderful writer and a really experienced to take something out of your own experience and work it, you know. Um, that takes a tremendous amount of skill and um, I would, uh, you, you know, you've got to have lived a bit. Um, I think, you know, I know there are a lot of great first novels and stuff, but it's usually written about emotionally territory that the writer themselves have traveled down. And you road. can sense that within a page or two if the writer is not doing that. Yes. Yeah, you can notice that yeah. this part is not for yeah. me, the stories. Well, you, do you think, well, this is ridiculous. This is so predictable. You know, this is a hackneyed kind of, this is what everybody, you know, uh, so you know instantly it's probably not going to be for me. But, um, you know, it'll end up on television. Somebody will do it. <laughs> well, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you thank for you. taking the time out. And, Pleasure. you know, for our, you know, talking the story and, of course, this classic film. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.